0: Amen. Thank you. That was beautiful, guys. Well, a few years ago when I first got here, Aaron and I began joking about this idea that one of these days we were going to switch. That I was going to preach and he was going to lead worship. So I saw that my name was on the roster for this fall, the Preacher Chapel. So a couple of weeks ago I approached him and said, so you're going to lead worship, right? He said, no, I'm going to Canada. I said, okay. So here I am. But I really hope that we get the opportunity sometime. Thanks, Grace and team. That was awesome. Um, Aaron's been taking us through the minor prophets of the Old Testament, and he's been trying to help us rediscover a prophetic identity as a people of God, to rediscover our prophetic voice, if you will. And I get uh, Micah, the book of Micah, and as I've been spending a lot of time in the last month praying and reading through this book, I started realizing that Micah and I have a lot in common. I like this guy. I was uh, in a punk rock band in high school. I'm the handsome gentleman on the left, with dyed hair, chains dangling from my neck, about three feet in the air. And a couple of the things that I noticed about myself and Micah is that we're both very passionate fellows. Micah uh, cries, and he shouts, and he writes very passionately in his letter, uh, or in his writings to Israel. And you can see the pained expression on my face. That is sheer, unadulterated passion, my friends. That is adolescence at its finest. Another thing that Mike and I share in common is that we're both artists. Now, I chose to use my expression in music, him and literature, but we have that in common as well. And finally, Mike and I both stand up for injustice. Micah stood against the tyranny of the leaders of Israel in his day now my band and I had a little different approach, but we were also standing up for an injustice. See, we were ruled by a power that was much, it was an offset, unequal power that ruled over us. And these girls in our school, they would control our thoughts, and they would cause us to think and feel things we didn't want to feel, and they would consume every part of us. And so we stood up in the face of that tyranny for men everywhere across America against the girls in their high schools. Micah and I were practically brothers. Micah came from a town called Moresheth, which is 20 miles south of Jerusalem. And it's kind of a blue-collar town. He uh, came from probably a town of farmers and maybe industrial-type workers. And his letter was written, or all of his oracles were written, to the leaders in Jerusalem. And these were the white-collar power-holders, both in the religious and the political sectors. And they were were having usury and extortion, and they were practicing injustice in um, taking money from their fellow countrymen. They were getting rich and lining their pockets off the backs of their fellow countrymen And they were stealing property from widows and from those less fortunate. They're charging huge amounts of taxes. And in the midst of this, they were indulging in their sinful natures. They were uh, carousing and doing all of the things you can imagine that come with life of wealth and luxury. And so Micah comes against them and he says, listen. He says, you think you're safe, but you're not safe. He says, you're living under a false sense of security. Three times in the book of Micah, there's these oracles of judgment, and he pronounces destruction, and then he follows them up with words of hope. But three times, he comes against them, and he says, listen, you have the same problem that Israel has always had, and that is you fall back on the fact that you think you're okay because you're Abraham's seed, because you're part of God's chosen people. You think you're safe. You like to hang your hat on your nationality and on your ancestry, but it's not okay. You're not safe. You are living under a false sense of security and destruction is coming. And I think that to some degree, it's easy to look back and say, wow, how could they not see that? Is it obvious to us reading the scriptures? But I think if we really follow Christianity all the way through to now, we tend to do some of the same things, don't we? We all want to feel secure, especially in our faith. And so we do these things like, we make these uh, ritualistic check, check boxes, or we'll put these, um, these boxes in that help us to make us feel like we're okay. So I go to church, check. I read my Bible, check. I sing worship songs, check. I give money the offering plates, check. And it's a way of helping us to feel secure. Or another thing that we do is we create check boxes in our mental state. So as long as I'm following the proper theology, as long as I subscribe to the right things, as long as I listen to the right preachers and don't listen to the wrong preachers, uh, then I'm safe, then I'm okay. And we look for ways to make, make ourselves feel secure. When I was a pastor in Sioux Falls, I was a worship and small group pastor, and so I did a lot of connecting with the people in our congregation. And one time I took this guy out for coffee, And I just said, hey, man, you know, you've been going to our church a long time, and I just thought it'd be time to get to know you. Would you share your story with me? Tell me about your faith life. Tell me about, you know, what what is God doing in you, and what has he done through you, and um, how have you experienced him in your life? And he said this. He said, well, my parents were Reformed, and so now I go to a Reformed church. I said, okay. Okay. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm really glad for the Reformed Church or his story would be really short. (laughs) But really, he was hanging his hat on that. That's uh, what he felt was the way or what he assumed was okay. And when I was was 18, I was getting ready to go to college and I was getting ready to leave uh, my parents, go out under the nest and go off on my own. So I sat my parents down and I said, Mom and Dad, I just want to say thank you. You've done such a great job of raising me. Like I got I feel so secure and loved. And I said, you've given me to a great church, you've sent me through a great school. And I said, I've had a great experience. Thank you. I said, but there's something you gotta know. Um, and that is I'm never gonna be part of the Reformed Church again as long as I live. And you know, I was zealous and impetuous, and my dad was very wise, and he kind of smirked a little bit. I said, okay. He said, Okay. He's like, why is that? I said, because we're so arrogant. We think we have all the answers for everything, and we think we're so much better than everybody else. And I said, I've never seen any humility in the theology of the Reformed Church. And I said, it just drives me up a wall that nobody can ever be wrong. So I went off to college, and I experienced all different denominations. I tried out a whole lot of churches. And here I am, back in the Reformed Church, because we are the best, and we do know. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I have a mentor... Um, who's kind of a mentor from a distance. I get together only once every couple years with him, but he's really been impactful in my life. And one of the things he said to me, he, his job is that he teaches college professors. So he is a professor to professors, teaches them pedagogy and things like that. And one of the things he told me is he said, John, when I went to undergrad, I graduated, and I realized that I knew everything. It was a great feeling. He said, but then I went on to get my master's degree, and when I graduated with my master's degree, I realized that I knew nothing. Very disturbing. He said, but then I went on to get my PhD. He said, and when I got my PhD, I graduated and realized that I knew nothing, and neither does anybody else. And I think you can sense the subtle humility that comes in that jest. But sometimes I think that we put our confidence in things like rituals or things like mental checklists that give us a full sense of security. So where was Micah's security? He's a very, very confident man. And if you read his writings, he really gave it to him. And in Micah 3, verse 8, he says, But as for me, I'm filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and with might. And it was from that platform that Micah wrote his book. It was from that platform that Micah gave his messages. Let's take a look at Micah 6, verse 3 through 8. This is the Lord speaking first. And Micah writes, My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt. I redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered? Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And then Micah responds, Yeah, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression or the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God basically says, look, I performed all these miracles, I did these things, I gave you leaders, what else can I do? And Micah stands up and says, yeah, yeah, you don't, really care all that much about rams do you and oil's really that big a deal to you even though those are the things that he prescribed Moses to use in worship is that interesting so if God was here in his audible voice and he spoke over us he says students of dork college he says what more can I do for you He says, I've sent my son to die on the cross and rise again. I've given you my Holy Spirit. I've given you my word written. And I've given you the church. What more can I do? And one of you would prophetically stand up and say, yeah, I guess there's not really anything intrinsically honorable in a song, is there? And showing up in church on Sunday, there's not really anything intrinsically valuable in that to you, is there? You want something more. You want us. You want us to know you. See, God wants us to see through His eyes. And He wants us to feel life through His heart. And He wants us to walk with Him and to know Him. See, when we we see life through His eyes... You'll start to see the injustices of those around you. You start to think about other people and your heart will hurt and you'll want to do something about it because you understand what God feels and what he wants and will enter into his story and will enter into his plan of redemption for the world because we know him and we've walked with him. We enter into his adventure for our lives. He doesn't want checklists. He doesn't want mental stabilities. Those things are good, but they're just means to an end. They're not the end of itself. He wants us to experience him and to live a full life. And see, here's the ironic part about all of this. The very thing that we like to have security in, the thing that we want to have security in our faith, so we make these things, and the very thing that we want our security in is the thing he's asking us to release and to give to him. He's asking us to step out in faith, to so maybe take a risk in a way that could potentially cost us something or maybe even be uncomfortable or even hurt. Maybe he's asking us to face a fear that we've been avoiding or wrestle through a doubt that we aren't really willing to enter into. The very thing that we use to feel controlled and confident and security and he's asking us to lay at his feet and to enter into relationship with him as we walk The journey together. There's a word that makes some people uncomfortable that's used in Christianity and that is the word intimacy. That makes sense. I mean, it's also used for things like lingerie and wine glasses and journals with little locks on them. But let me invite you to think about it a little differently this morning. Think about a mountain that you're driving up to from a long distance away and you see this little bump on the horizon. As you get a little bit closer It kind of fits in like a postcard. Very beautiful. But as you get closer and closer to this mountain, the mountain grows bigger and bigger until all of a sudden you're on the mountain. And no longer can you see the mountain. But when you step out of your car, you walk around on the soil. You feel the crunch underneath your feet. You smell the mountain air. You feel the wildness. You hear the birds. You sense the mystery and grandeur of this thing so much bigger than you but you're experiencing it. See, so if we go back to those checklists and we look at that mountain from a long distance away, we can send money to help save the animals on the mountain. We can make sure that we always know where the mountain is and that we drive past it every couple of days. Or, or we can read all kinds of things about the mountain. And we can find out what's on the mountain from books and from people who've been there. But until we actually go to the mountain and walk around and experience it. We don't really know the mountain. David writes in Psalm 27, he said, there's one thing that I ask, and there's one thing that I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life, that I would gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Jesus in John 14 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In John 15, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me. In John 16, he says, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you, and he's going to speak to you. He's going to lead you into truth. In John 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, Father, just as you are in me, May they also be in us, so that the world would know that you sent me and that the love you have for me would also be in them. God's desire is for us to know Him, to be found in Him, and to be one with Him. And Micah fittingly closes with prayer and praise because he knew God, His security, and His confidence. Came from a God that he knew. Pray this prayer with me that Micah prayed at the end of his book. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will trample our sins underfoot and you will throw our transgressions and iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show your love to Abraham. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this invitation to relationship with you that you've made through Jesus and that you've given us through your Holy Spirit, through your word. Father, I ask that when we find confidence in the things we think, in the things we do, that we would lay those at your feet and journey with you. Lord, that we would trust you as we step out in faith and that you who loved us first, your love would be in us so that we could act justly. We could see the world through your eyes. We can feel the world through your heart and that we could walk through it with you in relationship we love you God in your precious name we pray Jesus amen I'll invite you to stand receive a blessing this morning I'm going to do it a little bit differently Uh, I invite you to turn to one another find one other person and just shake their hand here Ben you can do okay there you go shake their hand and look them in the eye we're going to We're going to bless each other out of here. Look at each other and say, May the love of God our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit lead you into relationship. Amen. You guys go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Have a great day.